You take your Bibles tonight, turn them to the book of James, James chapter 1. We are going to go through the entire book of James tonight. I started to say in less than 30 minutes, maybe a little more than 30 minutes, but not, not long. Um, but we're going we're gonna to cover in summary fashion the entire book. And, and I want to tie it to what we, what we talked about this morning. Very, very practical um, book in Scripture. I mean, information that we can use. We're not, we're not talking about deep doctrinal truth, although it's doctrinal. But we're talking about information that can help us as we live our lives, as we deal with circumstances, we interact with other people. All of that is very, very important. Uh, just for reminder's sake, just so that you remember from this morning, we talked about the importance of faith in the life of a believer. We've been talking about that for some time now. And, and in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So the, the emphasis here tonight, again, is the trial of our faith. Now we talked about what faith is. Uh, looked at it this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, faith is believing even though we don't see. Because faith is the evidence of what we believe. Uh, faith is moving forward even though we don't know where we're going to step because God is in control. We know that's true. Uh, faith is having confidence in spite of the fact that everything looks like it's uncertain because we are trusting in our God. Uh, it goes on, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, it says it is in, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's an absolute. You cannot please the Lord if you do not have faith in your heart. You can't be saved if you don't have faith. But even after salvation, you can't please the Lord if faith is not a part of your life after salvation. So it's important to embrace that principle of faith. Um, it goes on and it says, He that cometh to him must... Uh, uh, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Those are the two primary elements of faith. The first one has to do with our salvation. Believe God is who he said he is. And when you believe God is who he said he is, you know that God's, uh, it's, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son, who is the Creator, came to this earth, died upon the cross, was buried, rose the third day, and was seen, that's what you have to believe in order to be saved. You believe that, and you understand that that's the source of your redemption. It's the source of your reconciliation to God. It's the source of your regeneration as a, as a believer. And that's salvation. But if you believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, then you know that he is going to do what he said he would do. And that's security for a believer. Security in whatever uncertain circumstances you might find yourself in. 
And so when James talks about the trial of our faith, our faith has to be able to withstand the uncertain uncertainty of those trials, and faith is the source of our security as believers. Now, we talked about a progression. Look at verse number four. James says, But patient, let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We find in the book of James, we find if you're, if you're walking by faith, your faith's going to be tried. And uh, so walking by faith is a life of peril because of the trials. Then because of the peril of the trials, you have to have patience. That's what trials do. They cause us to learn patience because God doesn't always answer the problem immediately. It's a lifelong process. It happens over many, many years. And, uh, and I can say, as I, as I mentioned this morning, I'm very different now than I was when I first got saved. I hope you're very different now than you were when you first got saved. I had a, a new preacher one time who said that uh, we were talking about some different things. He says, well, well, God doesn't change. So I'm not changing because God doesn't change. Well, it's true that God doesn't change, but you better change. Because we're supposed to change. That's, that's part of us, part of our, our growth as believers. We're going from who we were before we got saved to who we are supposed to be for eternity. And that's a drastic change. I'm very different from what I used to be. Now, there are those who say, well, you know, I, I got saved when I was a little child. There, I, I never really did do anything much wrong. You better be careful about saying that kind of thing, because that would indicate that you don't understand what the change that occurs in your life is all about. Because it's not about uh, uh, us getting away from extremely wicked sin that we were involved in before we got saved. It's about us changing from being alienated from God to being reconciled to Him. It's about us changing from being consumed with our own desires to having desire to do what God wants us to do. It's, it's, a, it's a significant change, and it occurs over a long period of time. So, the goal is perfection. That'll come, and we'll see it in the book of James in a moment. But the process starts with walking by faith. And there's peril, then there's patience, then there's power as God gives us the victory in certain instances along our way as believers, and eventually there's perfection. So uh, so let's look, beginning in verse number 5. We begin with our perception. One of the things that, that ends up being a trial of our faith is our perception, how we see things. Now the word, word James uses is wisdom. It says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now it's interesting that you'll find all through Scripture the, the idea of wisdom is, is exalted. I mean, the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over again. Wisdom's worth is far above rubies. It's, it's worth more than gold or, or silver or precious stones. We're to uh, exalt wisdom. We're to embrace wisdom. We're to seek wisdom. We're to 
ask God to give us wisdom because wisdom is the key to all of our growth, everything, as we learn what God wants us to do through the study of his word. God, the spirit of God gives us wisdom. We learn how to apply it to our life and we grow. Wisdom is what helps us to get beyond the trials that we face. So wisdom is important. It's the key to everything. So James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Remember, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. If you don't have faith, you can't get through your trials. If you don't have faith, you can't grow the way God wants you to. So let him ask in faith. Now, we, we talk about faith back in the beginning. He gave a definition. Faith is not a tool that we use to get things from God. You know, you, we, we think about uh, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, then you can have this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, because God's going to honor your faith. Well, that's true, but God's going to honor your faith only as long as your faith is consumed with what he wants rather than what you want. If you start asking for things because you necessarily want them, James addresses that, chapter 4, he talks about you ask and receive not. Why? Because you consume it upon your lust. It's, you're asking for the wrong reason. So we have to ask in faith, but we have to ask it with the right motive as well. And so James says, let him ask in faith. Faith is not a tool that we use to get what we want from God. Faith is the filter through which we view the circumstances of life, whether good or bad. David, you remember David was anointed king as a very young, uh, a young boy. But he ended up going back to the sheepfold, caring for the sheep. Then he ended up in Saul's, in Saul's palace, playing the harp for him. And, and then he ended up, after, after he killed Goliath, he became a, a soldier in Saul's army. And then Saul, because David was doing so well, Saul began to envy him and began to fear him. And so he decided he didn't want him around anymore. He was going to kill him. And you remember David, David fled. He, he, he left, and, uh, and he lived in exile for many, many years. During that time, there was twice when there was a situation where David could have killed Saul. I mean, David had already been anointed. He was going to be the king. He knew that was true. He could have taken care of it right then. And he said, no, I won't do it. And then his, one of his men came, the second time came to him and said, Hey, look, I know you won't do it. Let me do it. I promise you, if you let me do it, I won't have to hit him but one time with the spear. It'll be over. And David said, no, I'm not going to do that. God will do that in his time, and I'm going to wait on God. That's the patience. It was during a trial, and the reason David was able to get through it was because he looked at the situation through the filter of faith. It helped him to see that God was in control, and he knew what was going to happen. He was just going to trust him for it. Joseph, Joseph, you remember he had the dream? God gave him that dream, and, uh, and his brothers got mad at him, and he, they put him in a pit, and they sold him to the Midianite merchantmen, and 
Then they sold him to Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife came after him, and he refused her, and she lied about him, and he ended up in the prison. I mean, all those things. David, I'm sorry, Josh, I'm sorry, Joseph. Not David, not Joshua, but Joseph. <laughs> Joseph kept the right spirit because he was viewing things through the eyes of faith. At the end, he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That was his faith speaking. And God blessed that, and he was patient, and God saw him through the trial. So wisdom has to do with our perception, and we have to see things through the eyes of faith. And when we see things through the eyes of faith, God gives us wisdom so that we can deal with the trial we have, and we can do so patiently. So wisdom is the first thing. Second thing, first thing, perception is the word I use. Second thing is found in the beginning verse number 19. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's, that's um, um, internalizing the truth. We talked about that uh, last week too. Uh, now some of, some of those who are in here know a little more about this than others do. My, my middle son um, is a, a web developer. And uh, primarily what he does is he writes programs that makes things, that make, makes, makes a, a screen appear on a website that allows people who are looking at that website to interact with it. And what he does is he, it's, it's called programming. He puts information into the computer to develop a program that makes the computer do what it's supposed to do. And, uh, and, and so what he does is make it so the, conceive, the, the uh, computer receives the information and that information makes the computer do what it's supposed to do. So that's what this is talking about. Programming, spiritual programming for us. It's, uh, you can call it indoctrination, you can call it internalization, but it's, it's changing us from the inside out. It said, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And it goes on, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So anyway, the point is, we have trials regarding our wisdom, and it's important for us to see things through the eyes of faith. We have trials regarding our programming, whether we accept what the Scripture says or not, whether we embrace it, whether we let it do the work that needs to be done in our hearts. How many, how many people are there that come to church every week and they sit and they listen to the preaching of the Word of God and they may even spend, spend time all week reading their Bible, but they don't receive the truth that is, that, that, that's, that's coming to them. They don't, they don't take it in. They don't let it have an impact in their life. 
and they don't change. That's a challenge for all of us. Have you ever heard anything when somebody was preaching and, uh, and you didn't really like it much because it kind of made you feel a little uncomfortable? Maybe, maybe because the Spirit of God's beginning to convict. I, every now and then somebody will, will leave the building and they'll come, and, come to me and say, boy, that was a good message. Boy, you really stepped on my toes today. Well, I don't like hearing that. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. And if I step on your toes, that's not going to help a whole lot. If I step on your toes, you know, I'm not, I can stomp on them, and then you get mad at me and go away. It wouldn't do any good. What's important is whether or not the Word of God provides the conviction. The Spirit of God uses the truth to provide conviction. And at that point, every one of us faces a trial of our faith. What are we going to do with what we've heard? Are we going to receive with meekness the truth of God's Word? Or are we going to justify what we're doing and decide that we don't need that guidance because it really doesn't apply in our situation, you know? And, uh, and, and we reason around it and, and figure out a way that we can get by without ever having to, to receive that truth. And we don't, we don't want it, so we, we figure a spiritual way to get rid of it. That's not a very good thing to do. Because if we do, we have failed the trial and we're not moving forward. So there's a trial regarding our perception. There's a trial regarding our programming. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. If there come one under your assembly, assembly, a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have not, you have respect him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit thou here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves? and are become judges of evil thoughts. We need to be very careful because we all face a trial of partiality or of prejudice. Now don't raise your hands, any of you, but do any of you have a problem with prejudice? I hope nobody's saying, not me. Because we all deal with prejudice in one way or the other. And it, and it's, and it has more to do with, uh, uh, it's, it, it has to do with everything. There are, I have partiality to certain foods. I have partiality to certain kinds of clothing. I have partiality to a lot of different things. But when it comes to people, it's a problem because there is no difference between any of us and anybody else as far as the Lord is concerned. God sent His Son to die for every man. And, uh, and we, have a, we, have a, we have a tendency to look at certain people who have done great things. I don't like that word great when it comes to spiritual accomplishment because we, none of us, have any greatness There's not a single person, a human on earth, that is great. We use that term in a very general sense, but God is the one who's great. 
We are servants that God chooses to use. And from that, we ought to be grateful. But we need to be very careful about measuring someone's status and putting someone in a category up here and someone else in a category down here. God says that's wrong. And so we have trials of our faith related to how we, how we act toward other people. And we need, to, we need to let the Lord help us to do the right thing with regard to that. And then there's the matter of our presentation. Notice in verse 14 of chapter 2. It says, What did the prophet, my brethren, though a man say that he have faith, there's that word again, and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, and give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. There's a trial of our faith with regard to our presentation of what we believe. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to demonstrate by the way you live that what you say is true. People are watching. And, and I know in our society today, the term Christian has become an ugly term to a lot of people. And sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. But if it's not justified, I don't want to be part of the ones, part of the group that contributes to that wrong perception. They were called Christians in Antioch first. Why? Because they were, they were perceived to be like Christ. We need to be, people need to see us and think that person is a Christian, and I know it because what they do matches up with what they say. If we're going to mature the way we ought to, then we have to be able to demonstrate by our life the presentation, the thing that people see of who we are needs to coincide accurately with what we say, what what comes out of our mouth. And then we come to the next thing, and that is our proclamation. Look in chapter 3, verse number 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. And you know where this is going. Let's skip on down. Verse 6, the tongue is what we're talking about. Verse 5 says... Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and birds, and serpents, things of the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed by mankind, but the tongue can no man it is an unruly evil full of dead, deadly poison. Now look at this, verse number 9. It, this, this goes beyond what we do, but it has to do with what we say. Verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth bless, blessing and cursing. 
My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh. The height of hypocrisy is to, on one hand, bless God, and on the other hand, curse man. We have a, a challenge with that. That's the trial of our faith. Our faith says we're supposed to be growing and maturing and becoming like Christ. But if we are hypocritical in the way we talk, then that's, that's sending a, 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 a contradicting message. That's not something we ought to be doing. Our proclamation, the things that, that come out of our mouth, and then we see, beginning in chapter 4, we see the problem having to do with our pride. And this is a big one. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. It says, For whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, that ye, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know what causes Conflicts in the church. The biggest thing that causes conflicts in the church, it's pride. It's pride. We get we get caught up in the idea that what we are, what we believe, our position is absolutely right. And uh, and and there there are things where we where you don't bend. I mean, doctrinal truth. You don't you don't give on that. You don't you don't compromise. You don't concede on things that the Bible is very, very clear on and that there's no room for compromise. But when it comes to other things that are personal preferences, we get so hung up on that sometimes. We get so so, um, so unmoving about it all. And you get two people together and they get back and forth and, and boy, you got a problem. Somewhere along the way, there has to be a willingness to say, you know what? I'm not always right all the time, and uh, and maybe maybe you know maybe where I'm I'm standing here is, you know that's that's part of growth and it's part of of working together. Um, Brian didn't wear a coat tonight to leave the singing. I got on a coat. He's got his coat right there. He's got his coat right there. You know I know some churches where that would be a really big problem. Does that deserve, is that, is that an issue that not, ought to be a, yeah, well, and, and there are absolutely hundreds of thousands of them. That's a simple thing. But there are areas that cause great division in churches. Relationships are, 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 are irreparably harmed because people are not willing to yield in some areas. None of us are perfect. 
and, uh, and, and pride. How about this? How about you got a situation where you, you, you took a stand or you did something, and then later the Lord makes it obvious to you that you were wrong. So then what do you do? Well, I, well, yeah, well, but, but, you know, we got all kinds of reasons why we, yeah, well, maybe it was, I wasn't completely wrong. You know, and it wasn't, and it, and it really wasn't that big a deal or whatever. If it wasn't that big a deal, then why not just acknowledge that you were wrong? The reason we don't is because it causes us to have to yield our pride. And we don't like to do that. Man is not prone to, to be willing to say, I'm wrong. And yet some of the greatest victories that I've won have been when I acknowledged that I was wrong. And, um, and, and so we need to be very, very careful about being too determined not to let anybody see that I might have made a mistake. That's true for everybody, including preachers, because preachers make mistakes too. And um, so there's a, there's a reason why the Scripture says, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one on the list is a proud look. Now, we get way on down the list where things get a little more muddy for us, and we want to emphasize those. But you better not be emphasizing those if you don't as well make it clear that you understand that pride is at the top of the list. Pride is a challenge to our faith. And pride can be, we can win the battle if we are willing to yield ourselves to the Lord and if we're willing to understand that the great that, that yielding our pride is actually a victory. Pride is one. And then, and then the last one begins verse 13, and that is presumption. Notice what it says. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And then he comes back and says again what he said in chapter 1. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In chapter 1, he says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So he's repeating that, that for emphasis. And so... We need to be careful about presuming upon God. And, uh, and what that means is we don't just assume that God is okay with whatever we choose to do. Now this talks about going into a certain city and buying and selling and getting gain. We, we say, we're going to do that. We're going to go do that. And, you know, that's our plans. We're going to do that. Well, sometimes we get other plans fixed in our mind about what we're going to do. And we just assume that that's the thing that, that God's just going to go along with it. Sometimes what we do, we don't do it this overtly, 
But we kind of sit around and we think up our plans and we get everything all set. And then when we get everything all set, we've got it all written down. We've got it exactly the way we want it to be. And then we go to the Lord and start to pray and say, Now, Lord, this is what we need to be able to be successful for you. We, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need, we need your help, Lord, for us to be able to accomplish these things that, that we want to do to honor you. Remember, again, David was doing the right thing when he went to bring the ark back to Jerusalem right after he was elected king. You remember what happened? He went to get it and started back, and he had it on a new cart, and an ox was driving it, and Uzzah was put there to, to guard it, and the, 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 the ox stumbled, and the cart began to shake, and Uzzah put out his hand to, to, to stabilize the ark, and immediately Uzzah died because no man could touch the ark and live. And David got angry at the Lord. And then later, it said David was afraid of the Lord that day. And then David went back and said, you know what, maybe it's not, it's not a matter of me making my plans and doing it my way and asking God to bless it. Maybe the better thing is for me to go find out how God said to do it. And then I know God will bless that. So instead of us making our plans ahead of time, we get on our knees and say, Lord, you tell us what we need to do, and then we'll do it. That's the way to make it work. That's the way to get God's blessing. And David learned that principle. And the second time, I mean, he went overboard to make sure he was doing it right. He had the, 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 uh, the, um, um, the guys that were bearing the ark that were on their shoulders, but they, they stopped every so often. And uh, the Levites who were moving the ark, and, and they stopped every so often and sanctified themselves over and over again. And when they got back, there was a great time of rejoicing because they had done it the way God said to do it, and God had helped them to accomplish that goal. So those things James addresses all of them very clearly. Our perception, our programming, what we internalize, our prejudice, our presentation, faith without works is dead, our proclamation, what we say needs to be without hypocrisy. Don't, don't talk about blessing God and then cursing man at the same time, out of the same mouth. Our pride, our presumption, all of those things are issues that will challenge us. And they become a part of the trial of our faith. Now, I think it's interesting. I want you to go back. We skipped over a little section of chapter 3. I want to read it again. Remember I said at the beginning, wisdom is the key to all of this. Look in chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. James is kind of a little interlude here. And he says, he asks this question, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. As we read through this, try to think about the things that we've talked about, that James has talked about in the rest of the book, and see if he doesn't include everything in here. And it's all a part of, of what he's saying here. Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. That's faith without works is dead. Uh, his works with meekness and wisdom. Uh, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. 
This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife there is, there is confusion in every good work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. You won't have arguments if you've got God's wisdom. If you're, if you by faith, or if you're looking through life at, through the eyes of faith, and, uh, and you have God's wisdom, it's, it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, won't have trouble receiving with meekness the engrafted word of God. It'll become a part of who you are. Um, full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, there won't be any issue with prejudice. And without hypocrisy, you'll be what you say you are will show up in the way you live. Those are all things that, that James addresses very clearly. So we have the trial of our faith, the peril, the peril, the, the walk of faith is a life of peril. There are trials. The walk of faith is a life of patience. When the trial comes, you wait and trust the Lord. And it's, I mean, we're not going to get where we're supposed to be until we are in his presence. The completion of that comes when we're in his presence. It's a, it's a, it's a life of power. God will give us victory over it. Look in chapter 3, verse number 6. We read that verse already. But he giveth more grace, but, uh, uh, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye devil-minded. Um, um, humble yourselves, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. All of that is victory that comes from the Lord for those who are willing to look at things through the eyes of faith and trust the Lord in the situation and, and, and put yourself in a position where you're letting Him work in and through you. And then come, we come to, to verse 7 of chapter 5. And James says this, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know what that is? When the Lord returns, two, two returns, he's coming first in the air to take the, the dead in Christ home and those who are alive at the time. That's called the rapture. There'll be a... a, a the sound of a trumpet and the cry of the angel and uh, come up hither and we will all rise to meet the Lord in the air. And then there's a second coming which will happen at least seven years later that uh, where he'll come and he'll actually step foot on earth and he'll set up his millennial kingdom. In between there'll be a time of tribulation and uh, a lot of things will happen during that time. But when we see him the Bible says we shall be like him or we shall see him as he is. And you know what's going to happen when we see him and we become like him? All of a sudden, that final step will be complete and we will finally be perfect. Perfect in the sense that we'll be without sin. Perfect in the sense that we will not be challenged by sin, 
again, not perfect in the sense that we'll be like God because we're never going to be like God. He's, he, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. We're never going to be any of those things. We're not going to have all knowledge. But we will be like him in the sense that we will be perfect in, 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 our, in our body, perfect in our spirit. We will be perfect and there will be no more cause for the trying of our faith because our faith at that point will be realized. What a wonderful, wonderful day that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. And you know, the longer I live and the more I see the direction this world is headed, the more I long for the Lord's return. That will be a wonderful day. And then the last thing, he also says that the life of faith is a life of prayer. You go down verse number uh, 15, he says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. The prayer of faith, that means you're praying with your eyes set. You see things through the filter of faith. You see circumstances through the filter of faith. What that means is you know that God's in control, and you may not be able to see the end of your faith, but you believe anyway. You may not be able to see the next step, but you walk anyway. You may not be able to, to understand everything that's coming because there's a lot of uncertainty, but you have confidence anyway. You establish, establish your heart and trust the Lord. See things through the eyes of faith. That perception gives us wisdom. It helps us to be able to endure the trial of our faith and come out on the other end with victory, and eventually leads us to our final goal, which is perfection. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. And, and, and I, I hate to say this, but there's so many people who think Christianity is about, now I, I've trusted the Lord, now I'm going to heaven, and so I don't have to worry about it anymore. And they think that when you trust the Lord, then all your problems go away. No, they got it all backwards. When you trust the Lord... The battles are just beginning. But, the, but, but enduring the battle, coming out on the other end, is absolutely worthwhile. And, uh, and every person in here that's been saved for a while and who's been through some of those battles and has seen how God has used those battles, those trials, to help to mold them and shape them and mature them and, the, and, the, and to see the confidence that they have the assurance that they have, the security that is theirs, even in the times of difficulty, every one of them understands the principle that I'm talking about today. Make sure that you are willing to walk by faith and trust the Lord. He's got the answer to every problem. We may not be able to see it, but it's there. We just have to believe it. Let's stand together. Heads bowed, nice